0: Welcome back to the DealMakers podcast show with serial entrepreneur Alejandro Cremades, best-selling author of The Art of Startup Fundraising and co-founder at Panthera Advisors. In this podcast, we ask our guests about their successful acquisitions and financing rounds. So this episode is brought to you by NorthPass Business. Again, small businesses and startups, they often work with limited resources and reduce costs wherever possible. While this is sometimes practical, cybersecurity is one area where you don't want to cut corners. Creating strong, unique passwords for your company's accounts is a surefire way to defend your business from data breaches. However, with the number of personal and work logins we use daily, it's very easy to get password fatigue, leading to reusing the same passwords across accounts. So NordPass Business is a powerful password manager for organizations that removes the difficulty of generating and remembering strong passwords for you and your colleagues. Additionally, it allows for you to integrate single sign-on with your company's Google workspace accounts and effortlessly create groups to share sensitive information across teams and projects. So see NordPass Business in action now with a three-month Free trial by going to NordPass.com forward slash Pantera and use the code Pantera. This episode is brought to you by Basecamp. So Basecamp is a project management and team communication application that has been around for about 18 years and it's used by thousands of companies today. Basecamp is all about simplicity. It is designed to give you and your team the tools you need to get work done. They have message boards, to-dos, file storage, chat, calendar, and much more. Basecamp is built to help you in getting out of your way and let you focus on what matters. Again, you know, like when you're adding a bunch of people, there's a bunch of files that need to be shared. You need to be effective. And that's where Basecamp comes in. They actually are from the guys that brought to you 37 signals. And really, they help in making decisions simple and also effective. So, Go to Basecamp. Their pricing is simple, and they give you the all—all all really the features in a single plan. No upsells, no upgrades. Go to basecamp.com/dealmakers forward slash dealmakers and try Basecamp for free. No credit card required, and cancel at any time. Thank you, Basecamp, for sponsoring this episode. All righty. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the DealMaker Show. So super excited about the guests that we have today. We're going to be learning quite a bit about building and scaling, but also incredible, you know, how he has been traveling around the world, the distributed workforce that he has, and, and many other things that I'm sure you're all going to enjoy very much. So I guess without further ado, let's welcome our guest today, Chris Maurice. Welcome to the show.
1: Uh, thank you, sir. It's good to be here.
0: So originally born in New Orleans uh and uh, obviously you know quite a uh interesting you know upbringing and and I love you know for you to kind of like walk us through it like I walk through memory lane how was life growing up there
1: in New Orleans Oh man New Orleans is uh New Orleans is an incredible city I highly recommend it to anybody out there that's looking for a good time not a great place for business <laughs> um maybe that'll change one day uh but a hell of a place for restaurants
0: and tourism that's amazing. So so you were for there quite a while. I mean, you didn't move much until university.
1: No, 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 no. The family was uh, pretty stable. We stayed in and around the New Orleans area. I basically spent the first 18 years of my life in southern Louisiana. So I think, uh, I mean, hell, before starting the company, I'd been on a plane four times in my life. So, so- my entire idea of the world was basically shaped by southern Louisiana. <laughs>
0: So it sounds like being there, you're quite, you were quite in the known, like in in the certainty, you know, like kind of stuff. Like what got you into problem solving, into this, you know, excitedness for traveling around the world, building companies. I mean, did you have anyone in your family that was an entrepreneur, or or how did that come about?
1: Yeah, my uh, my dad and his grandfather. So my great-grandfather, so my father and my great-grandfather were both uh, quite entrepreneurial. And so I think, I think that's, I mean, if I had to credit somewhere that it, that it comes from, I think it comes from, you know, certainly uh, like that part of the family. Yeah, I mean the the whole travel piece came much later, right? I mean, as as any good American, I did, I never had a passport, right? <laughs> right, mm-hmm. and so um, the uh, you know the idea of traveling never even you know really crossed my mind, right? Uh, anywhere that I would go had to be accessible by car, so. <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, I, I think uh, for like entrepreneur, sort of uh, what the entrepreneurial spirit or however you want to call it, sort of sprung up in fifth grade. So I would have been, what about, uh, let's call it like 11, and I uh, I started selling pokemon cards online and that was i did that for actually a number of years that's that's basically how i paid my way through college was selling pokemon cards on the internet
0: so uh, my god i mean some of those pokemon cards
1: you know can get you know really expensive we're talking in the millions oh my brother i'm telling you the uh my biggest regret is that i was about 10 years too early on the pokemon craze man that's uh after like during and after covid it is it is boomed i should have just held on to all of them
0: yeah, no kidding. No kidding. Now now in your case, you go to Alabama uh to to do your studies. Obviously the first time that you get out of the comfort zone of New Orleans. And uh, you know, you go there to Alabama and that actually during that period of your of your college uh is when you came up with the idea of yellow card. So how was that a the process like of um you know, because as they say ideas, you know, they're dormant, you know, we don't even know that they're there. They take time to incubate. So how was that process of of the idea coming, you know, to you and then you thinking, hey, I got to bring this to life.
1: Yeah, yeah. So I, I, yeah, I went to, I went to Auburn in, uh, in, in Alabama for, for university. And I mean, big, big credit to some of the efforts that the school started at the time, right? They started during my, what, freshman or sophomore year, and then has now, you know, continued since, is Auburn really put a focus on, entrepreneurship right and and they had they had a major for entrepreneurship and they they started you know some uh, student entrepreneur competitions and incubators and all of that right and so there there really was a how do you say a push at Auburn for uh, you know for students to sort of uh, chase that entrepreneurial spirit right and yeah and I mean I we certainly would not be where we are today if it weren't for the sort of uh, initial push that they gave us uh, and the, you know, just the the help and encouragement that they gave us along the way, right? Um, yeah, I mean, I, look, there's not a ton of companies that have come out of Auburn, but what I will say is that uh, any and all that are coming out, it's it's definitely thanks to the fact that they're trying to provide those resources and that encouragement, right? That's, that's really all it takes, right? Is you, you need, you know, you need somebody that wants to chase that dream and then you just need, you know, a group or a person that's, that's, you know, willing to encourage it, right?
0: So let's talk about that process of coming out. I mean, how, how did, how did the whole thing come out? What was that journey like, that process of, of, of coming up with, with a concept and, and then say, Hey, you know, let's, we're ready here to, to get going.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, so we we tried uh we tried a number of uh a number of things that didn't work, right? So uh I think I think to to back up a little. So I I got into Bitcoin around 2013. So right before I started university. Justin, my my now co-founder, is uh a big nerd, right? And so he was uh you know scourging web forums back in the day and uh you know very into uh very into Bitcoin and yeah, followed like the the early community very closely, um, and that was all he wanted to talk about back then was was Bitcoin, <laughs> um, and so uh, eventually he had, he had sold me on it right, and uh, we tried a number of things that did not work right. Uh, we lost a lot of money trying to you know find some sort of foothold in the crypto industry, and. Um, yeah, you know what? What we eventually landed on, and I, uh, you know, sort of brought up through the like the Auburn accelerator and and all of that was the uh, the initial idea for Yellow Card, which was that we were going to take a gift card, put it in CBS, Walmart, places like that. You'd be able to walk in, buy this gift card, redeem it for crypto, and uh, and you know we started building this out. And one day we met a Nigerian guy at a Wells Fargo who was sending two hundred bucks to his family. And the bank charged him ninety dollars to send two hundred to uh, to Nigeria, and and you know we thought you know wow that's that's absurd right? And so basically went and talked to this guy right. Hey, have you heard of Bitcoin? It's you know it's free, it's instant, it's fun, all this great stuff. And went home and and basically asked myself you know what would what would this guy's mom do with two hundred dollars worth of Bitcoin? Right, so we've solved the middle of the problem. I can send you money whether you're in New York or Nigeria or wherever you are in the world. But then, what are you going to do with that? Right, in the U.S., there are options. Right, I can sell that on Coinbase. But I, you know, I can't. It's it's very difficult to natively pay your bills in crypto. Right, the gas companies don't generally accept crypto. Right, (laughs) Uh, you know, even in San Francisco, you'd have a hard time paying your rent in it. And so. That was sort of the problem that really presented itself and that I, I started thinking through is, is you know, what, what's his family actually going to do with this money? And I I don't think I knew where Nigeria was on a map at the time. Um, they don't teach you nearly as much about Africa as you might think they do in the Louisiana education system. But I uh, I set out to just understand everything that I could, right? And so I started doing all of this research and, and you know, just trying to learn more and uh, eventually, I, I realized, you know, okay, look, if I if I really want to understand the country and the continent, um, then I just need to speak to somebody from there. And so I I put out this ad online that I uh, you know basically said looking to speak to you know Nigerians online, right? Which <laughs> in, in hindsight probably wasn't the best approach, right? But um, I you know I end up uh, I end up. You know, meeting and talking to this guy, right? And uh, you know, we, we hit it off, and within, uh, within about a month and a half of meeting this random Nigerian man on the Internet, he convinced me to go get my passport and take the first international flight of my life. Uh, so like I said, I'd been on a plane maybe four times in my life at this point, and this guy convinces me, four days after graduating college on a six-day-old passport, to fly to Lagos with no visa, no shots and a one-way ticket. And I uh, spent all of our money on this, on this trip. And so literally landed in Nigeria with the options of either make the business work or live in Nigeria for the rest of my life. <laughs> right. So then what happened next? Ben, I mean, from, from there, right. It, uh, I think the, the big thing that we discovered is the problem that we set out to solve was, you know, okay, how does this guy get money to his family on the continent without, you know, pain an arm and a leg to somebody like Wells Fargo, right? And that was that was basically that was what we had set up to solve. And I, I think what we learned from that trip is that the world does not need another remittance company. There there are a million of them already. There's you know Western Union and MoneyGram and TransferWise and you know every. I mean, I think everybody on earth can name at least three, right? <laughs> and so uh, you know, we learned very quickly into the trip that there's no need for another remittance company right what what nigeria and and you know africa more broadly needs is just on and off ramps to be able to actually access and redeem value from crypto right and from this this broader crypto ecosystem and so whereas we we sort of thought that what we were going to be building was a tool for people to be able to send money uh what we ended up realizing is that's not that's not it at all, right? What we actually need is just the ability for people to be able to buy and sell crypto, right? Be able to on and off ramp. And so that's that's what we came to, and that's that's what we you know immediately pivoted towards and started building, right? And yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, skipping some steps here, right? But now we're the, you know, the largest crypto exchange on the continent. And it's because that was that was what we narrowed the focus on: is, is that exchange piece locally, rather than trying to deal with the you know international processing. Right? Crypto does that naturally. Bitcoin, I can send Bitcoin to anybody in the world right now, right? So Bitcoin and crypto more broadly already takes care of that. Um, and so what we are now and uh, what we started and are still hyper focused on is that that on and off ramp piece.
0: Now, for the people that are listening to really get it, what ended up being the business model of Yellow Card? How do you guys make
1: money? Yeah, you can think of us very similar to Cash App or Coinbase, right? So, a, a very simple, straightforward user experience, right? Mobile first, uh, very mobile friendly, where basically you download the app, right? You, you, know, you sign up for an account, and then you can load fiat. Right. So I load, you know, my local currency in any country on the continent that we support. We support 16 countries across Africa. I I load my local fiat through cash, through mobile money, through bank transfer, whatever I have. And then I can buy Bitcoin, buy USDT, buy USDC, buy Ethereum. Right. Works the same way in reverse. So if I have that crypto, I can receive it onto my wallet. I can sell it for fiat and then I can have that fiat sent out immediately to a mobile money number in Kenya. I can have it sent to a bank account in Zambia, right? And so it's it's it, that's really the business is is those on and off ramps, right? How do you get people into crypto? And how do you get people back out of crypto into the local economy?
0: And in terms of um you know the team I know that you have a quite a distributed workforce, I mean in 21 countries. I mean you've been in 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 Lagos in Nigeria then you went to Atlanta now you're in Barcelona I mean at what point did you guys you know realize hey we can we can have people all over the place here uh and uh, you know with that type of flexibility and then also how do you go about doing that so that there's actual culture
1: yeah, yeah I mean to be to be honest there was no point of realization it was more a uh How do you say a global pandemic that (laughs) that forced our hand, right? So I mean, we are we are fully a COVID company. Um, I mean, we started, uh, you know, I mean, look what we shifted to Africa in 2018. Uh, We launched in June of 2019, and so I mean, we launched what seven eight months before the world ended, right? Right? And so yeah, and I mean, you know, the first the first couple months were slow, right? And so I mean. We when we were really starting to pick up, it was about the time that, you know, COVID was was kicking off. And it was looking like, wow, things are really gonna, you know, get bad here. And yeah, I mean, so it was it was never it was never a point of, you know, oh, we can actually do this. It was more a point of like, oh, there's no such thing as offices anymore. So (laughs) it doesn't, we can hire from anywhere, right? It doesn't matter where people are, because, you know, it's a new world, right? And I think obviously, you know, now, I mean, you know, look, COVID's over and, and the world is opened back up, but uh, I, it, it really hasn't changed our approach, right? We think that, you know, we're going to find the best talent wherever that best talent is in the world. And, and that's, that's who and where we're going to hire. And so what that's led to is we now have over 200 people in 21 countries right i uh, what 18 countries in africa and then the us uk and and poland right and so you know fully remote fully spread we have offices in each country that i you know that people have the option of going to but i i don't like going to an office and so frankly i'm not going to make anybody else go to an office right
0: <laughs> so we'll get back to our conversation in a minute but if you're an entrepreneur or a sales leader you want to listen to this let me tell you about wingman not no, 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 Tom Cruise. Wingman is a conversation intelligence tool that helps folks like you coach and scale up their sales teams really fast, really easy. Now, I know you know scaling is not just about hiring. Getting the team up to speed can be the real speed bump. Well, Wingman can help you in getting that. It lets you build call libraries with game tapes relevant to every sales situation, complete with highlights and notes. And it's. Asynchronous, I mean, repeatable sales training engine. Not just that, Wingman even helps during sales calls with contextual battle cards and monologue alerts. The great thing about Wingman is that it plays nice with all your existing tools like Salesforce, HubSpot, Zoom, Teams, and Google. It even syncs up with Slack so you don't have to log into your CRM all the time for deal updates. So head over to trywingman.com to give it a try. That is. Trywingman.com ncom is just the wingman your sales needs to really predictably beat revenue targets quarter after quarter. This episode is brought to you by Partner Hero, which provides customer service outsourcing that's built for the needs of scaling and high growth startups. They offer flexible terms, fast onboarding, and the ability to scale teams quickly. Perfect for fast growing business. I mean, let's face it, you know, you're all startups. You know, it's time for you to really stop trying to do absolutely everything. You need to get yourself out of the supporting box so you can actually focus on growing your business. So again, Partner Hero is flexible. They have quality assurance. They have offices around the world to really provide that help and support that you need. And if you're ready to bring in outside customer support help for your startup that feels like it's part of your existing team, then check out Partner Hero. Head over to partnerhero.com forward slash dealmakers to book a free consultation with their solutions team and mentioned that you heard about Partner Hero from Dealmakers and they'll waive the setup fee. Now, in terms of uh, obviously a lot of people, uh, how, how, how did you guys go about the capital uh, raising side? I mean, how, how much capital have you guys raised to date and what has been the journey with that?
1: Yeah, so to date, we are post-Series B, uh, we've raised 57 million total um and yeah i mean i think uh, i think you know looking looking back at like the first checks in uh what i would say is that raising money for a company focused on the african continent is difficult, to put it politely, right? <laughs> I'm not sure if cursing is allowed on the podcast. Otherwise, I'd use some more choice language uh, when it comes to the uh, describing the uh, the process. But mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, it's, it, you know, especially, especially in a pre COVID world, right in a in a pre Jack Dorsey visiting Nigeria and, and Ethiopia and Ghana and South Africa world, right? Um, there was not much understanding even in silicon valley and in in sort of the uh the you know the broader um how do you say investment scene right in, in the broader vc scene in terms of africa and so uh for a lot of for a lot of the um uh for a lot of the uh how do you say effort and everything that we would put in all the pitches that I'd be running around doing a lot of it didn't amount to anything. And, and I, I think what we, what we ended up realizing is, you know, look, I'm, I'm spending more time trying to fundraise than I am growing the business right now. And the moment that I shifted that, the moment that I said, I'm going to stop fundraising and I'm going to focus on growing this is really the moment that everything changed for fundraising, right? It's it's sort of the old adage of as soon as you don't need money, everybody wants to give you money, right? <laughs> and so yeah, I mean we just we focused on okay, how do we build a business that can be cash flow positive, right? And how do we make sure that we can, you know, hit payroll and actually start paying ourselves without having to rely on you know vcs or any external funding and that's that's exactly what we did right we built the business in a scalable sustainable way where yeah we were able to earn revenue we were able to you know maintain you know cash flow positive in the in the early days so that we could survive right it was it was basically out of necessity and then it it got to the point where you know, VCs couldn't ignore the couldn't ignore the growth anymore, right? They couldn't ignore the the user growth, the the revenue growth, all of that, and yeah. And then you know, we were able to close out the seed round, and then uh, and that was what mid 2020 that we were able to close out the seed round uh with with polychain and then uh from there i mean we had like guys like coinbase uh, coinbase ventures and blockchain.com and all come on um and yeah then the the a and the b um in 2021 and 2022 um but that was that was really the turning point was uh sort of shifting the focus towards actually growing it as opposed to spending so much time trying to raise money
0: so i guess for the for the people that are listening here you know to 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 really understand you know the the model i mean yellow card i mean how do you guys make money on this
1: we earn money by essentially just charging fees on the platform and and spread on exchange rates right and so it's uh again i mean the the model is is very similar to you know cash app to to coinbase to any of the Major crypto exchanges that you could think of in the U.S. Right, it's 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 essentially the same model, right? Just a, a user-friendly experience. You know, we take a little piece of the transaction and uh, and you know do the swap, right?
0: And how has it been to the um getting educated and up to speed on the regulatory side
1: of things with this? Uh, Africa is not known for having the most sort of clear-cut and uh, you know transparent rules and regulations around certain things right and i i think that uh you know crypto certainly no exception to that i think when you look at the you know the the broader regulatory landscape on the continent outside of crypto it's it's still pretty murky even for fintech in most parts of the continent and so you know laws in a lot of places have have just really not caught up and it's it's the same in the us right it's not just africa i mean you know if you look at you know things like money transmission licensing in the U.S. It's not though the the regulations around that have not caught up to the internet. Never mind, you know anything else, right? Money transmission licensing was designed for like Western Union before the internet existed, right? And uh, the the U.S. has just basically said, you know, hey, this now applies to you know the web and Web three and everything else. Um, it's it's similar in Africa, right? The the laws are are largely just sort of behind where technology is and in africa the the issue is you have a very young population the The median age on the continent is nineteen years old right nineteen years wow. old a continent of one point two billion people and And so I mean, you're talking about a very young continent with tech savvy people that are growing up on the internet right the same way that i mean the same way that anybody else, their generation is growing up all every kid today is growing up on the internet, right. And so it's I think it's very important that these these laws really catch up and and adapt to where where the continent is going to be in the very short term future, right We're not talking about fifty years from now. we're talking about you know where the continent is going to be when these nineteen year olds are you know twenty nine ten years from now and are the ones. Running things, right, and, and you know they're the ones running the economy, and they're the ones generating most of the value, in businesses, and, and that kind of thing, right? And so uh, I, yeah, I, I think uh, all of that goes to say that you know we we spend a, a good amount of time, and we have a lot of great people on the team, including, uh, for example, like our chief compliance officer, who uh, she was running all of Africa for MoneyGram previously, right? And uh, you know we have great people like Mandy and and our our GC and 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 others on the team that do a lot of work working with these governments on not just not just understanding what is the current landscape but also trying to help promote and educate them on what does good crypto regulation look like right and so taking it a step further than you know hey how do we operate here right actually trying to do sort of our part in shaping the way that the continent regulates this technology moving forward and so that's that's really how we've been able to navigate it, right? It's just by actually having those conversations as opposed to ignoring it, right? I think a lot of companies on the continent choose to ignore it, um, and we've ran head-on at it, right? Which is why we're the only licensed exchange on the continent.
0: Now there's a lot of talk around this because of the FTX collapse. You know, obviously that this has sent shockwaves uh, to the space. Uh, now we're in the crypto winter, as Warren Buffett says, when... The tide is low. You can see who is swimming naked, right? So, so obviously, you know, like I'm wondering, like how how you guys are thinking about what that post, you know, environment, you know, after we're coming out of of this crypto winter is going to look like? Because, you know, obviously many things have been shaken up. You know, I, the last year has been, you know, brutal for the crypto space, and I think that, you know, obviously institutions have really driven, you know, the the craziness, right? And now it's like more like, hey, you know, like. Uh, it's kind of like the ups and downs, but what do you think is going to be the, I would say, the, the landscape once we're coming on the other end of this crypto winter cycle?
1: Yeah, so I think, um, yeah, I mean, look, 2022 sucked for crypto, right? That's, <laughs> you know, to put, it, to put it very concisely and bluntly. You know, I think as we look towards like a a post FTX world, um, my my fever dream is that people will actually start to focus more on the use cases of this technology, as opposed to the speculative nature of certain crypto assets, right? And so, you know, look, we we for example, as as Yellow Card have not been hit nearly as hard by the you know the the, the crypto winter as a lot of other exchanges in other parts of the world have I mean you know look at coinbase right market cap is down 80 percent right um we've not been hit nearly that hard by you know some of these uh some of these other big players in the industry simply because our customer is significantly less speculative right our customer you know look if you or I buy crypto we are probably buying it because we want the price to go up Right. I at the end of the day, I buy. I of course, you know, look. Do I, I believe that Bitcoin is the future? I think that it's going to be the reserve currency one day. All of that, but at the same time, I buy Bitcoin because I think the price is going to go up. Right. <laughs> and so, I uh, and you know, that's that's generally the sentiment that you see from the the global West. Right. So U- U.S., Europe, uh, even you know, a lot of Asia. Right. Is, is sort of that that speculative nature. That's that's not. Uh, that's really not what we see from our customers right and and i think the i mean the the best stat to indicate that is that about 80% of our transaction volume is in stable coins right it's it's people buying coins that are pegged to the dollar, right? It's not it's not people just buying bitcoin, buying ethereum, buying dogecoin, buying shiba inu, buying, you know, whatever other meme coin pops up tomorrow, right? It's it's uh it's a lot less speculative, it's a lot more transactional, right? People are buying it for payments, for international payments, for savings. They're buying it because, you know, inflation in Nigeria this year is probably going to be over 70%, right? Uh they're buying it because I can receive remittance. I can receive money from anywhere in the world, right? Whether it's remittance from my family or it's, uh, you know, payments for my business, right? I can I can have clients all over the world and not have to worry about the fact that, you know, wiring money into some of these countries is extremely difficult. And so that's, that's sort of my fever dream is that, you know, coming out on the other side of the crypto winter, there will be a renewed focus on parts of the world like Africa where you see more of that practical, Sort of uh how do you say like the original uh purpose of you know crypto uh and the sort of original values of crypto actually being used in practice right uh, as opposed to the speculative nature, yeah, all of that being said. I don't think much is actually going to change. <laughs> I think we're going to come out to the other side of crypto winter. Uh, we're going to hit a bull market again, and people will pump billions of dollars into Dogecoin, right? <laughs> but uh, I hope that during the crypto winter, rather than you know looking to the other side of it, I hope that during the crypto winter, people start to take notice of what's going on in Africa, what's going on in South America, what's going on, and in, in, you know some of these parts of the world where crypto is being used more practically.
0: So I guess to, to expand on, on that question, you know, and, 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 and on thinking about the future here, imagine you were to go to sleep tonight and you wake up in a world where the vision of yellow card is fully realized. What does that world look like?
1: Oh man. I mean, I, th- I think that looks like, uh, it looks like people, uh, being able to control their own money, right. Which is, I think the, the broader vision of. Bitcoin and of the the original white paper and of the you know the crypto industry more broadly, right? I, I think that our vision lines up very closely with that sort of initial vision of what is what is Bitcoin, right? Peer-to-peer electronic money, right? What what is this, what can this be used for? And of course, you know, for us, for our specific focus, it's it's on the African continent, right? But I mean it's it's something that we want to see. Worldwide, right, and so we're pretty hyper focused on Africa. We're not, you know, we're not planning on going anywhere else. But uh, that's that's what I would want. That's what I want to wake up and see, right? It's just people being able to control their own money, being able to, uh, yeah, you know, being able to receive money from anywhere in the world, send money anywhere in the world for virtually free, right? Cutting out some of these insane remittance costs, right? Africa's still the most expensive remittance corridor in the world, nine percent average to send money to the continent. 19% Nineteen percent average to send money within the continent, right? And so, uh, yeah, I mean, the you know the business of moving money around the world is still a very lucrative business for these sort of you know key guys at the top, and that's that's what I I think that you know crypto is is going to really disrupt and change, and that's that's what that's what I would love to wake up and see one day, right? Of course, you know nothing happens in a day, but uh, you know we're going to build there one step at a time,
0: so. Imagine if you had the opportunity of going back in time and perhaps, you know, you were able to sit down that younger Chris that was still in university thinking about, you know, launching, you know, a business, in this case, yellow card. Imagine you were able to sit down that younger self and give that younger self one piece of advice before launching a business. What would that be and why, given what you know now?
1: Oh man, given given what I know now, I'd put all my money in Dogecoin. But um <laughs> I, think, uh, I think other than that, other than that, I think it would be it would be sort of along the lines of what I talked about with fundraising. It would be like focus on focus on building, right? Like build a product and put it out in market, and the sort of the accessories and sort of the, you know, all the ancillary issues that you need to deal with while building a business will sort themselves out, right? But like, have a good product, build a good product, get it out into market as quickly as possible, and then iterate from there, right? Um, I think, I mean, you know, something that we see quite often um, is uh, companies and 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 founders that that wait way too long to get their product out into market, right? and i think that we see this more and more now um or sorry i should say that we've seen this more and more over the past year or so as you know money has been essentially free flowing right it's been very easy to to raise money and and that kind of thing over the past what year and a half right and so, uh, well, looking before, I should say before 2022, it was easy, it was significantly easier to raise money, right? And it was, you know, debt was basically free and, you know, VC money was flowing and, and, and all of that, right? And, uh, and so, you know, I think, I think what we ended up seeing was a lot, of, a lot of founders that didn't understand that, right? And who wait way too long to actually get a product into market and by the time that they do, they're not in a good position anymore, right? They're, they're running out of money, they need to raise again, all of that, right? Um, I think my, my best advice would be that if you launch a product and it's perfect, and there's no issues with it. Then you waited way too long to launch it. Right? You should, I mean, you put it out into market. Uh, I, you know, look, we were we were talking about this earlier, right? Even with your podcast, it's like you started the podcast and the sound quality was no good, and you know all of that, right? But you were building that listening that listening base, right? And then you iterate from there, right? And now you got this, you know, this nice professional mic and this setup and everything, right? And you know, if you if you had waited until you had this microphone to actually start the podcast. Then you know you'd be significantly smaller than you are today, right? Yeah. Uh, and so that that would be that would be it, right? It's just get something out there, right? Let's see, like see how the market responds, and you know build on it, iterate, listen to your customers, listen to you know your whoever the clientele is, right? Listen to them, but uh, you know get something out there.
0: I love it. So Chris, for the people that are listening, what is the best way for them to reach out and say hi?
1: Man, Twitter, I guess. (laughs) At Chris Maurice. Let's say hi to me on Twitter.
0: Amazing. Well, hey, Chris, thank you so much for being on the DealMaker Show today. It has been an honor to have you with us.
1: Uh, Thank you, sir. Good to be here.
0: If you like the show, make sure that you hit that subscribe button. If you could leave a review as well, that would be fantastic. And if you got any value, either from this episode or from the show itself, share it with a friend. Perhaps they also appreciate it.